Thank you, Connie. That's beautiful. Good morning again. So, for the last several months, so I guess we're now in the seventh month of the year, for the last seven months, we've been studying the topic of masters, mystics, and metaphysicians. And we've been having this conversation for a purpose. And the purpose is very simple. Once you have a personal experience of that which you call divine by any name, once you have your own experience of the divine, nothing and no one can take that away from you. When you know it exists, it's yours, it belongs to you, the work after that is mastering the way of staying in connection, isn't it? But you don't have to wait for someone to inspire you or to motivate you. You don't have to count on blind faith. You know, because you've had your own relationship. You're cultivating your own relationship. And through that cultivation, you're growing your relationship with the holy. So the study that we're doing this year for the whole year is how does that really happen? How do we connect? And we've looked at lots of different facets of this and lots of different mystics and how things happen for them. We've talked about mastery and we've talked about what mastery is, that mastery is the ability to take on something for your life that you're going to continue to work with and work on. You know, and you can talk about like a mastery Mastery of art, maybe you want to take on painting or something like that, but I want to invite you into the consideration of something like the mastery of love, to spend your life learning how to love more completely, more fully, more openly, through more challenging moments. That, that's a field of mastery worthy of your heart, something that brings you into every day with a different perspective. So we talked about that. We'll continue to talk about that. And we talked about mysticism and what that is. And mysticism is pretty easy to understand. Mysticism means you've had an experience beyond, uh, beyond the normal experience, a mystical experience that taught you by, by your own hand, heart, and mind that there is something more to life than just what we see in the physical. And we've talked about how Rumi had that happen and how George Washington Carver had that. Rumi had it happen when he was dancing and writing poetry and studying. And George Washington Carver had it happen in nature. Charles Fillmore had that kind of an experience through his meditative quiet time. We've talked about the different ways that that can happen. This morning, I want to define the third word in this phrase, which is Metaphys uh, metaphysicians or metaphysics. So first of all, we tend to think of that word as a woo-woo word. Metaphysics is all that woo-woo stuff. Well, metaphysics is an old, old, old word. It, and it traces all the way back to the time of Pythagoras. And it's a word that is very simple to understand and very complex in its application. Metaphysics, meta, is beyond or to transcend. And physics is a reference to the physical world. So metaphysics goes beyond or transcends the physical world. 
And a metaphysician is a person who studies in areas that do that. So what would those areas be? One of those areas would be the area of free will. What does it mean to have free will? Another would be an area of existence. We exist. Why do we exist? What does it mean that we exist? Another area of metaphysics is the study of time. Because even though time is measured by a physical activity, it exists because we make it so. So what is the point of time? It is beyond the physical. Consciousness, which is a big part of unity teaching, the the power of the mind, divine consciousness, our connection to mass consciousness, all of that is metaphysical study. It's study of what is beyond the physical. How do we use our minds? Why do we use our minds? How do we connect? And what what is universal consciousness? Is there such a thing and are we one with it? So metaphysicians are people who look at these questions in a way that is not unscientific, but is really different because our science requires measurements, doesn't it? When we engage in science, we prove something through a measurement system of some kind. Metaphysical practices are hard to measure. Our understanding of them is difficult to measure, and yet it's still a field of study. And the field of study is called philosophy. And so this morning, before we go too much farther down this rabbit hole, I want to introduce you to a metaphysician. His name is Thomas Aquinas, and we're going to watch a short video about his life. Before we start that video, I want to uh, give you a short disclaimer. Because we are people here of many faiths, coming from many walks, and there is a blip in this video that if I could have edited it out, I would have, that is a reference to radical Islam. And we, as a community, are very open and have members here who are Islamic and members who are Sufi. And so I just want to point it out to you and ask you to understand that I looked at many different references to Thomas Aquinas. This is the best one I could find for his life. And this little blip is the opinion of the producer. So I want you to just let that slide by to acknowledge how easy it is to slip that stuff in there and to notice it. Notice it and settle your heart in being the person you choose to be around it. I think that you'll enjoy the rest of the teachings. So let's take a look. It seems at first weird that we might learn from Thomas Aquinas. He was a medieval saint who was reputed to have levitated and had visions of the Virgin Mary. He was much concerned with explaining how angels speak and move. And yet, he continues to matter because he helps us with a problem which continues to bedevil us. How we can reconcile religion with science and faith with reason. Aquinas was both a philosopher and a saint. Refusing either to lose his faith or mindlessly believe, he developed a new understanding of the place of reason in human life. Aquinas's monumental contribution was to teach Western European civilization that any human being, not just a Christian, could have access to great truths whenever they made use of God's greatest gift to human beings, reason. Aquinas broke a logjam in Christian thinking. 
the question of how non-Christians could have both wisdom and at the same time no interest in or even knowledge of Jesus. Aquinas universalized intelligence. He opened the Christian mind to the insights of all of humanity from across the ages and the continents. The modern world, insofar as it insists that good ideas can come from any quarter, regardless of creed or background, remains hugely in Aquinas's debt. Thomas Aquinas was born to a noble family in Italy in 1225. As a young man, he went to study at the University of Naples, and there came into contact with a source of knowledge which was just then being rediscovered, the texts of ancient Greek and Roman authors. Aquinas then became an academic at the University of Paris and an exceptionally prolific writer, producing nearly 200 pieces about Christian theology in less than three decades. His books bear beautiful and strange titles like the Summa Theologica and Summa Contragentiles. Such was his devotion to knowledge, even at the moment of his death at the age of 49, Aquinas is reputed to have been in the middle of writing an extended commentary on the Song of Songs. After he died, he was canonized in the Catholic Church and is now the patron saint of teachers. Aquinas's starting point was that some of the world's greatest thinkers have not been Christian, but this didn't bar them from having huge insights, because, as Aquinas proposed, the world can be usefully explored through reason and not just through faith. To explain how this could work, Aquinas brilliantly proposed that the universe and all its dynamics operate according to two kinds of law, secular natural law and religious eternal law. For Aquinas, a lot of the world follows natural laws. We can find out for ourselves how to smelt iron, build an aqueduct or organise an economy, and none of this relies on believing in God. Aquinas discussed Jesus' injunction to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus may have given this idea a particularly memorable formulation, conceded Aquinas, but it's in fact been a cornerstone of moral principles in most societies at most times. How could this be possible? Well, the reason, Aquinas argued, is that it's an idea that belongs to natural and not eternal law. Aquinas conceded that in a few situations, God does work simply through eternal law outside of human reason, and he cited prophetic revelations and the visits of angels as examples. However, he reassured us that most useful knowledge can be found by atheists and secular-minded people within the realm of natural law. Aquinas's ideas unfolded at a time when Islamic culture was going through very similar dilemmas as Christianity in terms of how one can reconcile reason and faith. For a long time, the Islamic caliphates in Spain, Morocco and Egypt had flourished by being open to knowledge from all over the world, generating a wealth of new scientific ideas and philosophy. However, due to the increasing influence of fanatical religious leaders, Islam had become more dogmatic and oppressive by the time Aquinas was born. It had, for example, reacted violently against the Muslim philosopher Averroes. Like Aquinas, Averroes had been deeply influenced by Aristotle and had argued that reason and religion could be compatible. However, the caliphates, anxious never to depart from the literal words of God, made sure that Averroes' ideas would be banned and his books burnt. 
Aquinas knew that the Muslim world's increasingly radical rejection of reason was harming what had once been its thriving intellectual culture, and it was overwhelmingly thanks to Aquinas' ideas that Christianity did not suffer the same process of stultification. Though Aquinas was a man of deep faith, he provided a philosophical framework for open scientific inquiry. He reminds us that knowledge can and should come from multiple sources, from intuition but also from rationality, from science but also from revelation, from pagans but also from monks. That sounds obvious until we notice just how often civilization has been and is still being harmed by people's refusal to take this brilliant idea on board. So the reason that I wanted to bring Thomas Aquinas in today is because the idea in our culture is that metaphysics falls outside the realm of science and that the, that, that the practice of metaphysics is something, like I said, kind of woo-woo and out there. Metaphysical practice is based on the dovetailing of both spirituality and reason. Those things have to work together. And those that we've seen as mystics would, would also fall under the category of metaphysicians. They were people who studied, who learned certain things, who practiced them several times to find out if they worked over and over. One mystical experience is not the same as living a mystical life. And the mystics that we've studied this year are people who didn't just have one experience. They have intentionally been mystics who had ongoing experiences mystically in their lives. So what made them different from those people who just had one thing happen and that was it? What made them different was a devotional practice. And Thomas Aquinas taught about that uh, sense of devotion, about what it means to be devoted. This is what he had to say about Aristotle. He was a student of Aristotle. And this is what he said about Aristotle, based on Aristotle's claim that he was a philosopher. He said, the philosophers were men who were moved to philosophize because of wonder. And since wonder comes from ignorance, it's evident that they began to philosophize in order to escape ignorance. So it's clear that they pursued knowledge and sought it zealously only for the sake of knowing and not because of some utility. From the name wisdom that was first used for this inquiry, there has been a change to the name philosophy, though both names mean the same thing. The early sophists who undertook the study of wisdom were called wise men. But when Pythagoras was asked what he, could, what he would like to be called, he refused to take the name wise man as his predecessors had done because it seemed to him presumption. He called himself a philosopher, that is, a lover of wisdom. Hence, the name was changed from wise man to philosopher and from wisdom to philosophy. This latter name is more appropriate, for he is recognized as a lover of wisdom who seeks it not for the sake of something else but for itself. So a metaphysician is a philosopher. A metaphysician is a lover of wisdom. A metaphysician is a person looking, seeking, actively pursuing wisdom. How do we do that? How does that happen? How do we pursue wisdom? 
we read, we study, we take classes, we show up on Sunday morning at places where our, um, our mind is, is tickled to move in one direction or another, and we're asked to make decisions for ourselves about what we believe or what we don't believe. All of those things are true. How else do we seek wisdom? Aquinas presented that we seek wisdom through an act of will. So remember earlier when I said metaphysics includes the study of will? What is your will? How do you use your will? What does it mean? He believed that devotion, which is our subject for July, that devotion was an act of will. And he referred to Jesus's time in the garden in Gethsemane, which is always a tongue twister for me. I could never quite get that word out. He referred to Jesus's time when he said to God, take this cup from me. And he followed by saying, let it not be my will, but let it be your will. What happens from here needs to be in divine will. So to be in an act of will for him was an act of surrendering to the holy, to surrender yourself somehow through an act. So what kind of act could you do? Well, some of us pray on a regular basis. Some of us journal on a regular basis. Some of us meditate on a regular basis. Those are all ideas that you know. I want to give you some you don't know. I want to suggest to you that you are creating a threshold, a doorway, by which you open the door and surrender to divine will so that the divine mind can connect with yours. And I want to suggest to you that you do this on a regular basis, every single day, at least once a day, maybe twice or three times a day. And I want to suggest to you that you do it by tying that threshold to something you already do every single day. Brush your teeth, wash your dishes, whatever it is that you do. And when you do it, you think, oh, why do I have to do this every day? How come I have to do this thing anyway? Someone was talking to me this morning about brushing their teeth with one of those little electric toothbrushes and that you have to do that for two minutes. And that she said, I always think, why do I have to stand here for two minutes? She said, now everything is different. <laughs> what is it that you do that you feel has no purpose? Can you do it in surrender to the holy? This doesn't mean that your experience of it is suddenly going to become joyful. It means that you are going to engage your will to do it anyway. Charles Fillmore sat in a chair for hours, waiting, holding his mind open, holding the threshold open, pushing the doors open again every time his mind got distracted so that there would be an opportunity for the holy to communicate with him. Hours. We put two minutes into brushing our teeth. It's a good place to start. Mother Teresa was a healer who also could be claimed a metaphysician because she changed the world beyond the physical. She changed the world beyond the physical through a very physical act of caring for people, caring for people through prayer, caring for people through commitment. And she got up every day and did the same thing. And she, if you've watched 
the movie about all of her letters, she had lots of doubts. This was a hard thing to do. Devotional practice is sometimes challenging. It's our will that we exercise it. It's by our will that we open the door for direct communication. It's not because it just happened by accident. But once the door is open, the door stays open powerfully. And it can, it can happen in such an amazingly simple way. If you are willing to have the door open. And that really is the big question for you this morning. Are you willing to have personal communication with the divine? If you suddenly felt an answer, heard an answer, saw an answer, or knew that something was an answer, would you name yourself crazy? Would you wonder whether it was true or not true? Of course you would, which is why you have to engage reason, don't you? Because reason allows us to look at something through a different lens. So, I was telling the earlier service, my son had an interesting experience this year. He's 38 and he's realizing he's in love with a girl he's dated for about a year. And he came out of a very difficult relationship, very difficult divorce. And so he has a lot of question. And yesterday he was telling me, he said, mom, as I was walking out the door, down the steps, I was saying to myself, to that, you know, bigger universe, okay, am I supposed to love this girl Am I really supposed to fall in love? Because I feel in love here. And he walked out to his car, which is like, you know, as far as from here to where Wendy's sitting. And he got in the car and turned it on. And the radio came on. And the song on the radio was his very favorite song ever in his whole life. And it's a song that is, it's a very uh, kind of obscure song that plays in the movie Edward Scissorhands, it's not a theme song or anything. It's just a song that, that is embedded in that movie that he has never heard on the radio. Answer or not answer? Right. So in that moment, the reasoning process is, is that God... Well, geez, I've never heard this song. It happens to be my favorite song. I've never heard it ever before. If there was a way for God to communicate with me, this would be a pretty good way, wouldn't it? Right? Reason takes you to being able to accept that. The language of the holy is not necessarily English. When we have messages from the holy, they come in symbols and signs and awarenesses and recognitions. So when we practice every day opening the door, every day opening the door somehow to allow, to surrender to, to invite in a message from God by whatever name you choose, we have an opportunity to experience something. It turns our attention to looking for an answer. And when we're looking, we find what we're looking for. And when you have a mystical, metaphysical, outside of the physical, meta-experience of your own, nobody ever has to tell you about God again. You can come to places like this, you can practice, you can learn more, you can continue to expand, but blind faith becomes educated, knowledgeable, experienced faith. 
And when you have that, when you've actually had that experience of your own, nothing and no one can take it away from you. So that is my invitation to you. My invitation is that you devote yourself, that you explore devotion as an act of will, and that you choose something that you will do every day of your life to open the door so that you know you're never alone. I have a a couple of quotes for you. Jagge Vasudev said, devotion is a place where you do not exist. Life just flows through you with a certain sweetness and beauty. Rob Bresney, I like him. He says, push hard to get better, become smarter, grow your devotion to truth, fuel your commitment to beauty, refine your emotional intelligence, hone your dreams, negotiate your shadow, cure your ignorance, shed your pettiness, heighten your drive to look for the best in people, and soften your heart even as you always accept yourself for exactly who you are with all of your so-called imperfections. Mother Teresa said there is always the danger that we may just do the work for the sake of the work. This is where the respect and the love and the devotion come in, that we do it to God, to Christ, and that's why we try to do it as beautifully as possible. And Robert Cook said, cut your morning devotions into your personal grooming. You would not go out to work with a dirty face. Why start the day with the face of your soul unwashed? 